Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. And I hope you're going to wonder, why are you reading about Mary? I'll tell you later on. Luke chapter 1, from verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Lord, we thank you for your love that has so sensitively reached out to us from the beginning of time. We thank you that your love is shown in the scriptures, your love is made real through people around us, your love is made real through your spirit. And we pray, Lord, so much that you will captivate our hearts, that we would know that love more and more deeply that we would be excited by you, we would be secure in you, we would be confident in you. Now we would come to that place as Mary did where she said, Here I am, Lord, I am your servant. Whatever you want to do with me, please do. Even though right now for me it looks impossible. Thank you that nothing is impossible for you. And so we ask you this morning, Lord, to encourage us that we might believe your faithfulness even in those places and times that we don't see it. And our confidence will be resting upon what you have done in history, in time, on the cross, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So will you teach us, we pray, Jesus, the truth of our lives here on earth and the truth of your love. In, in your name we pray. Amen. I think if you join any um, team, if you go to pretty much anything that's worthwhile going to, whether it's drama or whether it's uh, singing, whether it's sporting events, the one common thread and the one common factor that you will find in all of these places where anybody's participating is a thing called practice. Practice, practice, practice. Rehearsing, rehearsing, rehearsing. Practice, practice, rehearse, practice. And it's interesting that so often, I think, in our Christian lives or in the stuff relating to God, 
We invest so little time and so little practice in working out what this stuff means. And then we blame him. And he say, we say he doesn't care and he doesn't do this and he doesn't do that, but we invest such an incredible amount of such little time in the practice of working out what it means to follow him, to build our relationship with him, and to allow him uh, to guide our lives. And so repetition of truths that sort of are familiar are important. Because truly trained people, very good athletes, and people who are growing, get to a place where what they are learning is now not sought through with their heads. It becomes part of who they are and it intuitively enters in and embeds in the fibers of their being so they just can stand up and do it. Or they can get on the ice and do it. Or they can get on whatever they're meant to be doing and do it. And that's when you know that you have absorbed that learning into your life. And that's what we're trying to do while we, where we gather together as God's people, where we uh, encourage each other. And so, like any sport or anything in life, actually it's not because you get more payback with Jesus, but one principle is the more you invest, the more you will become. And so we're going to just repeat some very simple truths today, but I hope they'll also excite you. The cross is the emblem the logo of the Christian life. The cross is the most powerful symbol probably, not probably, it is in my opinion, in the world. It's certainly trivialized and it's certainly not... But you go to companies and they spend lots and lots of money on logos. They spend lots of money. Nike spends a lot of money protecting the swoosh. And anybody else in business would kill for the swoosh. Because as soon as you see that swoosh, you know it's Nike. Or the Coca-Cola emblem. You know, 25 years ago, they were writing Jesus Christ in Coca-Cola script as part of the Jesus movement. But the emblem is recognized around the world. And so is the cross. So is the swastika. So are national flags. People congregate around symbols. They always love symbols. What's our symbol going to be? What's our caption going to be? You know the story. And Christianity has this bizarre logo, which is the cross, which in our culture might be an electric chair, it might be the noose of a rope, might be a hypodermic syringe. Isn't that cool? Hypodermic syringe is our sort of, what we, we put up in the front on the altar. And say, why is that? That's what the people in Roman times would have thought. What on earth have you got a cross up there for? Because a cross in Roman times and a cross means somebody died and somebody killed them. You can't crucify yourself. You can't crucify yourself. Somebody's got to kill you. And so the cross is a, a, a symbol of human beings killing the one who God sent to love them above all. Last week we spoke about the, uh, the, the people who have the vineyard. You know, they, 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 they have vineyards and they rent a vineyard and, and then the owner comes and, and sends somebody to fetch a percentage of that vineyard because that's what's due him and how they resented that and uh, they kept on resenting it. They kept on throwing the, these guys out and eventually killing them. And it was about the resentment of those who are renting the property in giving up anything that they have uh, harvested there to the owner. 
And no doubt many of us would go, well, we wouldn't do that. But gathering together and worshipping God is exactly that. It's beginning to say, through my whole week, what do I give back to God? What do I give Him in a way that actually says to Him, thank you? What I give to Him that says, I'm so appreciative of the life that you've given or who you are. And this cross is a symbol of what God thinks about you and me. He says, the cliche is, if you were the only person in the world, that cross would exist for you. Why is that? In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, it says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. And what it really means is that the the Old Testament is about rules and regulations and what God wants you to do or what it looks like if you're obedient to God, but it also is about you can't do it. So how attractive is that? Here are ten commandments, you won't be able to keep them. And I'm going to judge you and I'm going to kill you if you can't keep them. That's the good news. That's the Old Testament. Until you realize God is saying, chill out. I'm giving you this so that you can understand that you can't do it on your own. That the nature of your sinfulness, the nature of your rebellion, the nature of your not wanting to hang out with me because you want to be God is so deeply ingrained in you that unless I help you, you're lost. And we know that. I mean, we don't feel like coming to church, we don't feel like doing this, we don't. A lot of the time. We are so deeply ingrained to do whatever I want, or whatever feels good, or what seems to be expedient, that when we, when we actually put God first and say, I choose to do this, it's very, very rare. Because the nature of our battle, the spiritual battle, is so deep. I want to go very quickly through that battle. And you've heard this many times, but what is the shadow and what is the reality? Living in the shadow is like living in the prison camp. It's living in that place where all that God has given has been hijacked. God created the world and human beings, you know that. And he gave them one law, don't eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. One law, don't eat that fruit. So you know and I know, if you don't want a kid to do something, tell him not to do it. As soon as you say, don't do something, you kind of go, well, why not? And your, your focus is not on all the other stuff you can do, it's on the one thing you're not allowed to do. And Satan is a, is a power. Satan is a fallen angel. I'm not, I haven't got time to qualify every statement, I want to. But Satan is a power. And he knows our Achilles heels. And so he can't take on God, because God has already uh, sent him off. But it's amazing to me that one of, the gods, uh, one of the things God does is He never takes away what He's given. And He gave Satan power as an angel and He took that power and He used it against God. And instead of God just saying, well, I'll take your power away and then you'll be dead. He says, you have freedom to choose. I'll deal with you one day. But for now, if you want to fight me, fight me. But He doesn't fight God because He can't fight God. That, you know what dualism is? Dualism is when God and Satan are put as equals and they're battling it out for victory. That's not Christianity. 
God is Lord of all and Satan is a little angel who's got mad about it and he's, he's angry and so instead of attacking God he attacks the kids. And the kids live in this prison camp called the world and that's where he's strutting around saying, I'm king. And so they eat of this fruit and they, they, they experience the separation, the, the, uh, the barrier that sin creates, the guilt of sin, the rebellion against God and they find themselves saying, I don't know how to get back to God. He's not, I can't find Him. Because God said, if you rebel against me, if you do not obey me, you will be separated from me. It's really easy. Ask your friends if they know God. And they'll give you a lot of nonsense talks. But they won't know His love and power because you can't find it. You can't get there without dealing with sin. Rebellion. And so God is... So, so Satan continually tempts and seduces humanity to believe his lies and promises that there is nothing more, this is all there is, there is no God, you are on your own, make the best of what you can, look after yourself, put yourself first, make sure you've got lots of money, make sure you're secure. I was talking to somebody today and said, you know, the tragedy is that it's actually, it's hardship and it's actually um, unseen tragedies that bring us to our senses so often. It's one of the reasons you could offer why there is suffering in the world. Because if God so loves us and He says, if nothing else will work, then I'll let you get hurt. When you understand the big picture. It's all very complicated and very simple. And it's into this power struggle and into this uh, group of people, which is human beings, that got hijacked that Jesus came into the world and said, this is not what you are meant to be. This is not what, you're, what, what God my Father desired for you. He came into this place that was hijacked by Satan generations before. And when things happen generations before, when you're born into it, you think it's the real thing. You have no memory of anything else. And that's why for, most, for all of us, we have no memory of heaven on earth. We have, no, we have no reality of that, so it's hard for us to imagine. And so God comes in this person, Jesus, in a particular time in history and says, I know it's hard for you to imagine, but in this person, Jesus, I'm going to focus the truth of your creation. You won't find it anywhere else because you can't see it anywhere else. Everything else is fractured. And the situation had been there, I remember I said to you last week when we were up on the boat with Fred, you go to the fish farms and they say, wash your feet before you come into this area because this is a, a protected area. We don't want infection in this area. Wash your feet and you can come in. And what happened with God was he has his children and they rebel against him and they are separated from him because he cannot tolerate anything that's infected. It's not because he doesn't love his children. It's just if anything infected comes into his presence, they get zapped they get killed so he kind of says don't come because you'll die the nature of my purity is such that when I come in contact with sin it dies and unless you have dealt with your sin you will die and when he's talking about death he's talking about separation he's not talking about death of the spirit he's talking about hell and he so loved the world that he said, for God's sake, I don't want you there. 
You've seen these movies like uh, Death, uh, what's it, uh, The Walking Dead, these, uh, where guys are on death row and their relatives visit them and they come into this room and there's a whole big wall of glass and you have these poignant moments where they try and touch each other and they can't touch each other and they're separated by this barrier and the tears that are there and the pain of not touch, not touching those whom you love is there and they, they kind of imprint their hands and they try and keep it in the same position but it's a pathetic second to the real thing. And God looks at the world and he sees this barrier. And he says, you don't really know me and I can't get to you because there's a separation which you didn't think was real. And Satan told you wasn't real, but when you actually acted and sinned, it went up so quick. And now we're strangers. And so he sent his son Jesus who said, this is what it's like when God the Father and the Son are not strangers. When human beings are linked with God through the heart and through the spirit where sin does not separate them. There is no other religious figure in the world that does that, proclaims that, manifests that. That's why Jesus is so unique. And what happens with human beings is like the wall-eyed pike where they did that, you know, the psychological experiment where you put a you have a tank of fish and you put a glass wall in and they come and they bump their nose against the wall. They do it a couple of times, they never do it again. You take the screen out, they won't, t- they won't go there. They're conditioned not to. And that's what human beings are. We are conditioned not to expect God to be real, not to expect God to love us, not to expect God to be generous, not to really know what His mercy is like. Every single one of us. Even those of us in churches for years are conditioned to an incredibly small experience of God. And that's why our lives are caught so much in this tension where we're not really excited, we do it out of duty. So we come to church really out of duty and, you know, then, then, you know, then we'll go and have the rest of the day in the sun at the lake and it'll be cool. Right? I'm not saying this to accuse. I'm merely going, that's what happens. And God's going, I understand if that's what your reality of me is, I wouldn't be here either. But the reason we hear is also that there must be more. And that's what Jesus came to say. There is so much more. There is so much more reality than you can imagine. And so it was into that place where the wall was up and the separation between God and man existed because of rebellion. There was no personal touch that Jesus came. And Jesus came in order to bring what was in the shadows into reality. That's what the Hebrews is saying. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities for themselves. And then they go through this complicated language about sacrifice. And really all he's saying is, you come and you bring your sacrifices and they sort of take care of your sins externally, but they don't really cut it. And you know it and I know it and it's not really satisfactory. And then this guy Jesus came and he said, animal sacrifices no more. The greatest uh, sacrifice for human sin, for, for human rebellion, because the penalty for human rebellion is death. And so God said, I will meet my own justice. And that my son will take upon you, my, on, upon him, his sin, uh, your sin, your rebellion, and he will die in your place. And so the cross is about God saying, Don't tell me I'm unfair. Don't tell me I gave you the Ten Commandments and you can't keep them and I shouldn't have thought of it in the first place and you've got some issues with me. Don't tell me that. 
I gave you that because it's a mirror that shows you that you are rebellious and in my eyes you die. But in my eyes I also love you to bits. So I'm hooped. And because I love you, I also back up what I say and I back it up with my son and my son has gone to that cross and he said, I'm going to die for John. Why? Because he's my kid. And he'll name every single one of us and say, I've gone for them. But they might not even know, they might not even appreciate it. Too bad. My love takes the initiative. One day they'll know. That's how much God loves you. That's what He's invested. There is absolutely no room for whining. Underneath whine and blame is self-centeredness and stubbornness and pride. Do you think your circumstances are too bad and God should feel sorry for you and you, He owes you something? <laughs> I lived there for a long time as well. Trouble is He just stands there and waits and knocks and says, when you're ready, let's talk. And when we talk, He's going to say, bring me your sin, bring me your attitude, bring me your rebellion, bring me your selfishness, bring me all the stuff that I should kill you for. But it's not my fault well, yes, it's not your fault that you were born into this, but you have responsibility and freedom to choose. So one of the reasons why we're often not helped by God is we won't humble ourselves and come to Him on His terms. Or we hedge our bets and say, oh, well, let me just do these things that I want to do for the next five years, then I'll come. And you get hit by a truck next year and you don't. I think if you're like me, I have a lot to learn about the fear of God. I have a lot to learn about actually coming to Him on His terms. And I have a lot to learn about the depth of my rebellion, the depth of my belligerence, the depth of my saying to Him, I want it my way. But the cross is the place where God came and said, this is the bridge, this is the place where I shatter that wall and I say, come to me. Verse 8 of 10, first he said, Sacrifices and offerings, offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Why is that? Because God really said, I don't want your stuff. I don't want your birds and your, your dogs and your cows. I want you. And if what you give is not an indication of your heart, it means nothing to me. And then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. This is Jesus. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once and for all. And so Jesus went to the cross, and he laid down his life on that cross, and Satan thought, no, I've killed him. That's cool. I've, I've, done, the, I've done the final deed. I've killed the, the person God sent to save the world. Satan didn't see the resurrection coming. He rarely thought he'd done it. And on the third day, Jesus rises and Satan, oh my, now what? And out of that resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples and said, death does not kill what is of God. And he has shattered the whole regulations contained in the Old Testament. 
He has shattered the wall that separates human beings from God. And he says, you do not have to be behind that wall anymore. You can come into his embrace, the embrace of the Father. How do you do that? It's very simple. All you do is you come to the cross and say, Jesus, thank you that you've died on the cross for me. And he says, I'm so glad that was worth it. Our problem is we get stuck there. Our problem is we think that the reason God came to this world was to go to the cross. Well, it was. It wasn't the reason, really. I mean, you don't shatter the walls so that you could come into the room. You shatter the walls so that you could have a better relationship. You don't shatter the walls so everybody looks squeaky clean. You shatter the walls so that people can begin to grow into what they were essentially created to be. So religion and church, going to church and pleasing God is so boring. It's about becoming who God created us to be. Being empowered by God to do and be what we are not naturally. And that's why Jesus, uh, the, the Hebrew writer says this in, uh, he says, Therefore, brothers, in verse 19, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, that is the resurrection of Jesus. And what we need to talk about and spend some time about is how do I enter into what God has won for me on the cross? What Jesus has opened up? Because if you're like me, you've spent years and years and years just sitting around the cross, camping there. Forgive me for my sin, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And he says, yes, 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 yes. It's boring. It's depressing. All it is about is about what I'm not. What happens if the cross shows us that God doesn't have a problem with our sin? Let's apply this very quickly. You're sitting at the computer. You're writing a letter to me, dear John. Thank you so much for who you are and just love you so much. You know, you're writing that letter to me, of course. And you, you keep hitting the delete button and the backspace button because you're making mistakes as you print and you do word check because you don't want to spell incorrectly, right? right. How much time do you, do you wring your hands and mortify, you know, go into sort of huge amounts of stress because when you were writing the letter on the computer, you, you made a mistake? The computer comes with delete button and it comes with a backspace because mistakes are part of working with computers. So if you don't get so hung up about the fact that you don't do your word, per, you know, your, your, your letters perfectly and you need spell check, why would you be so continually mortified that you're going to need to come to the cross and ask forgiveness? The cross is backspace delete. Serious. It's backspace delete. Our problem is, we live our lives and we'd never backspace and delete, and so it's a, it's a bloody mess. <laughs> and we're so proud, we go, no, I don't see any mistakes, no, there's no, no need for me to backspace or delete. And people look and say, have you seen what you've written? I mean, look at all these marks. Jesus came to say, the reality is, God is gracious and he has provided a way for you to backspace and delete in your life every single day. That you might live a life where 
Your sin, your rebellion is not what comes to the forefront. When you present a page of your life, it is not because you are perfect, it's because you've got spell check in the blood of Jesus. The difference between Christians and non-Christians in the world in which we live is the Christians have spell check. How cool is that? Because you look good. And other people go, how did you delete that? How did you come to terms with that abuse? How did you come to terms with that stuff in your life? How did you manage to get rid of it? That's the cross. Jesus loves me and he just took it away. How did he do that? Well, I had to acknowledge it was there. And then we went to the cross and yet I forgave and he forgave and it went. Wow. Do you think that's why Jesus might have come? He wants to hear the wow, which is worship, by the way. It's wow. I don't have to carry that anymore. I don't have to show you this filthy paper with a few right words and the rest is all my mistakes. Because I can be forgiven. That's the power of the cross. And what did Paul say? Paul used a different, a different analogy and with, that, with this we will close almost. Paul says that where Christians go there is the fragrance of Christ. And I've used this analogy before and I like it. So I'm going to say it again. Which is the cross, the purpose of the cross is forgiveness, right? You know when you need forgiveness you have a guilty conscience. Or somebody else says you need to deal with this. One of the ways you'll find out, right? We know what that is. And we spend all our time obsessing about what we can't do and you just go, well, bring that to God and tell Him what you can't do or what you're not willing to do and say, Jesus, I just ask you to forgive me. I ask you to forgive me for my attitude. I ask you to forgive me for my, my lack of even willingness to follow you and I just give you permission to help me change. That's being real with God. And He's been real with you. He says, I love you and I've invested in you. There's no excuse from my side. I've done everything but you're going to have to do something yourself. And it'll show. And Paul says the fragrance of Jesus is amongst those who follow him. Which is like body odor, you know? It's like uh, putting on your deodorant. So when you go to the cross, again, the same thing. And I'm trying to say the cross is meant to be, the cross is given to us for daily application. The cross is given to us to be used all the time, not put in gold around our necks to show how spiritual we are or because we like the design. The cross is given to be an effective tool to help us live for God. And what does that mean? He says, just as you know that living this life means your body needs to be washed every day, hopefully, and you buy all kinds of perfumes, you buy all kinds of makeup, you buy all kinds of stuff to make you look pretty or good or handsome, right? And the cross is God's cosmetic, but it's a deep one. And he says, just get used to the fact that because you live, you are going to rebel and I have given you this tool, this place where you can have a shower. And so every day, I would exhort each one of us, you need to come to the cross and say, Jesus, forgive me. Not because, I don't go, I don't go into the washroom and go, oh, I, how embarrassing, I need to shower. Oh, man. Sorry, shower, I've come to use you again. I don't go through all of those kind of gymnastics. I go in there and I do my stuff. <laughs> you want more information? I can give you all kinds of information. 
Shall I say, shall I use Irish spring or dove? And Jesus says, you come to the cross and you say, rejoice in the gift I've given you. This is a good place because you can let it all go. And so you give it to him and say, thank you, Jesus, that I can be clean of this. It's like going to the dump and dumping all your stuff. And you come out of there and Paul says, when God's forgiveness, Jesus' blood cleanses, there's a fragrance about his people. You know what that fragrance speaks of and, and bears witness to? It bears witness to love, joy, peace, faithfulness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That kind of stuff. Quickly, Luke, Luke chapter 1. I'm going to... The purpose of the church is to be a place, a body, where people discover the reality of Jesus. And how he has worked and how he has cleaned and how he is working with people on earth as it is in heaven. They're looking at you and me and saying, what is the difference? Not just in your words, that's easy. What's the difference in your lifestyle, your priorities, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, how generous you are, what kind of person you are, how you speak about other people, what power of God is in you to love extraordinarily, to forgive extraordinarily. That's what they look for. And when they sniff that, they go, you know what, I wouldn't mind going to that course. I want to find out about this God because I know you and you've changed. And I can tell the difference between someone who's had a shower and somebody who hasn't washed for weeks. And you can tell that spiritually too. And the cross makes things possible that once were impossible. The angel appears to Mary. And he says to her, in essence, you have been chosen by God to bear his son and you're going to be pregnant and you're going to have no intercourse with any human being. And Mary goes, how is this possible? Well, because of the cross, I believe God's word to you and to me this morning says, when you come to the cross, I speak to you like I spoke to Mary. The barrier is taken down and what I ask from Mary is what I ask from you. And I promise you as well. So imagine yourself standing here or sitting here this morning and the angel of the Lord comes and says, Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. And he calls you by name. This is, I'm not illustrating, I believe this is true. Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Do not be afraid. And he calls you by name because you have found favour with God. And you will be with, I don't know what it is, for you. How will this be, is my response. God's vision for you is so much greater than your vision for yourself. And he is able to give you that fulfillment of his vision because of the cross because of Jesus' resurrection, His power, His Spirit, to bring about change. What I'm going to suggest that we do in the next weeks is talk about what is the small print. You see, the reason we read the Bible is to find out what is the inheritance. 
What is the good news? What is the application for all that God has given? And I pray that uh, each of us will learn more and more how to enter into an, an, an inquisitive and an excited uh, expectancy that God is so much more than we have begun to imagine. But it all is found through the cross. It's easy to get to the cross and it's easy to get through the cross. It's easy to deal with forgiveness by and large. But there's this big space where we don't go and that is we'll now reach out into what He has for you. Father, we bless you for the good news that is in Jesus. We thank you so much for the much more that you have. We thank you that as with Mary, you have done and birthed things in us of which we're not even aware. And we ask you to forgive us where we get stuck with this is impossible. And we pray that you will release us into your possibilities, not only for our lives but for the lives of others and for this church. We pray that we would move through the cross daily and find the reality of the risen Lord Jesus. We pray that we would be a people who rejoice in what we have been forgiven of, not what we are struggling with. We pray that we would be a people who are looking forward to what we are becoming in Jesus and who hold lightly on to the fact that we aren't much ourselves without Him. We thank You that You have overcome the evil one. We thank you that Satan has no power over us other than that which we give him. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will so work in us this morning that we will see the difference between living under the rules and regulations and living in relationship. Why don't you in the quietness bring to God one thing that you might be scared. If Jesus was here right now and he was talking to you, you would be going, I hope you don't mention that. Well, he knows it already, so he knows what you're thinking. So those games don't work. But he smiles at that anyway. And why don't you bring him something that is a barrier or a fear? Maybe you don't even believe in Him. Then you just say, well God, if you, if you are there and you are real, then please help me to believe in you. Show me so that I can believe. He loves that prayer. And maybe there's something in the way. Maybe it's a spouse or maybe it's a circumstance or maybe it's your own bloody-mindedness and you just don't want to give it up. Well, tell Him that. Say, Lord, I'm bloody-minded. I don't want to give this up in my head and my heart but there's part of me that's niggling and says I would like to be free I give you permission to work on me thank you that you love me I have a parent of a I have a, a picture of a parent you know uh, kneeling at the bathtub washing their kid and I think that's what God might want to do with some of us. He says, don't be afraid. I haven't come to condemn you. I've come to set you free. I'm your friend. And there are many, many people out there that I want to befriend through you. Maybe I've got too serious with Jesus. Maybe I've got too intense. Maybe... 
I haven't got intense enough, maybe I don't care enough. Maybe I give him two hours on a Sunday morning, a few minutes every day, and that's his portion, the rest is mine. And he whispers in our ears this morning, you know, it's all mine. Don't push your luck. If you could see what I had in mind for you, you'd give it all right now. So Father, we just thank you so much for the cross that works the power of Jesus, the death to sin, the life to your spirit out in our lives. You bring healing through the cross. You bring new perspective, new minds, new hope. And you've shattered the wall that separates. And so we pray for ourselves as we pray for one another this morning that you will just help us to take the next step toward you. And all we have to do is give you permission and you will do, you'll do the hard stuff. And as we come and break bread, we, we just ask your Holy Spirit to do whatever it is you want to do in us that will bring us closer to what you desire us to be. And bless you that that is a good thing. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand, please.